Hey everybody, CJ Maurer here and welcome back to another episode of The Fling, the podcast without really a goal or a mission, but uh, where we try and connect with other creators and makers and other people who are putting themselves out there to try and make positive change in some way. And so it is in that mission that I'm really pleased to introduce Akash Desai. Akash is, um, I think it's fair to call you a serial entrepreneur, um, but really just a good human, uh, which is one of the reasons why I approached him. I got connected with Akash probably a half dozen years ago or so, somewhere around there. And uh, what's kind of funny is that um, a lot of the guests, I may introduce them as so-and-so from something, right? Some company or entity that they're involved with, a charity, a business they run, something like that. But Akash is, is involved in so many businesses that um, I think we kind of got tripped up as what to uh, introduce him from or with. So I think that that makes for a lot of um, interesting things to to discuss. Um, so um, Akash is a really great person. I'm excited to have this conversation. First and foremost, Akash, thank you for joining me. And how are you? I'm doing great, CJ. Thank you so much. Uh, this is uh... This is great. You know, I love your mission statement, by the way, um, because that's kind of, I think you mentioned wandering and that's exactly what, uh, you know, what life to me is about. So uh, hence, no, no, this is Akash from XYZ. <laughs> yeah, you're just Akash. You're a human, just like all of us trying to figure it out, trying to do their, their best, whatever that means for you. Uh, exactly, exactly. And then doing things that really just kind of interest you in the moment. So uh, um, yeah, yeah. Again, thank you for having me on the show. The pleasure is all mine. Awesome. Um, in the background, is that a Connect Four table or board? Um, what is that? Oh, this over here? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you call it, but yeah, it's, it's Connect Four. Exactly. You're Got it. Four in a row and yeah the way and the reason why that happened actually so funny story is after i sold my last company i really had nowhere to work um and so i i got this small office space like a just a one-room office uh in east aurora where i live and um but then i had to like uh, watch the kids like uh two afternoons uh you know after school and so on so i i brought some games they just play over there and i do my work so we we got that for my daughter. She just turned five. And the first time we played it, I, I want to say it was around a year ago. She was like three, four, and she loved it, but she didn't really get it. And I don't think I've played it with her since, but we still have the game. So um, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I should probably play that with Riley. That's cool. Um, Akash, so there's a lot of things that we that I want to ask you about. I want to talk about like... Um, you know, why you're so invested in the startup community in general, but also especially here in Buffalo and um, some of the some of the things that you've learned um, in, through your experience running companies, starting companies, selling companies and everything like that. I find that very interesting. Uh, before we get into that, why don't you bring people up to speed on your background, right? Like nobody was born an entrepreneur. Um, nobody was born with, with your skill set or your knowledge, your experience. So why don't you take people on a little bit of a journey on, on how you got to where you are now? Yeah, I'm um, absolutely happy to do it. I, um, so I, I grew up in Africa. Uh, my family, so talking about entrepreneurship, uh, my family really was made up, you know, so my father's side of the house was always entrepreneurial, right? So my, my great grandfather, so the story goes, was kicked out of his village in India. Uh, you know, he was a little bit of a troublemaker, you know, uh, got passage on a ship, ended up in the Middle East in what is now Yemen as a cook, started his own restaurant. Um, and then, you know, from there, our family business really got into like import of, you know, import export of textiles, pharmaceuticals, you name it. Right. And uh, so, you know, very entrepreneurial family on the one side, my mom's side of the family was doctors and lawyers, uh, professionals. Um, and so today, much to, you know, much to her dismay, you know, she feels like I have failed because she really wanted me to be a cardiologist. Uh, and there, you know, I just didn't have the grades to you know, to be a nurse, let alone a cardiologist. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that makes two of us. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Right. Uh, we do the best we can. But um, no, I um, the, the way I kind of really got into what I'm doing right now is uh, my first comp 
my first company, um, I started in college with a buddy of mine. Uh, this was around 2004 timeframe and anyone that could sling some code was building websites at that time. And that was certainly us. And, um, and you know, a lot of good, just good fortune really is all that it boils down to. Um, we, um, we ended up uh, writing some software for like this tiny sliver of healthcare called institutional special needs plans. Um, uh, you know, so, so we grew that company, sold that company in 2008. Um, in 2009, um, I started a, um, an IVR company, interactive voice response that over the next decade became more of a customer engagement as a service platform, which uh, I sold to General Atlantic in 2019. Um, and now I just get to, um, you know, follow my next passion, which is around education technology and, and cybersecurity. So that's that's me. So let's let's unpack those one at a time. Um, you I'm trying to think what is the name the your ed tech company? Um, you told me about it before. Yeah, it's called Ink Labs. Ink Labs. That's right. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and what that's doing? Yeah, Ink Labs is a cool company. It's um, so what we do is we design uh, and we're a manufacturer of uh, what are known as interactive flat panel displays. So these are um, these are like the, the newer generation of smart boards that you see in classrooms. So we sell exclusively in the K through 12 space. Um, we also build different products like uh, what we call this collaborative media system, which is really just a, um, it's a way to do uh, synchronous and asynchronous learning. So as we know, because of the pandemic, um, students being uh, remote, students being in person, um, it's been a huge drain on teachers, right? It's like, how do I teach this kind of blended environment? And I think as as we go into the future, uh, we're just going to see more of that happen, which is, you know, you're going to have some kids that are just joining remotely, et cetera, if they're sick or what have you. So how do you, how do you provide good instru instruction without overloading the teachers? Um, and so this collaborative media system allows you to do it in person and remote learning at the same time. So it's all basically taught off some centralized platform that regardless of whether you're in person or remote, you're, you're seeing the same materials, following the same curriculum. Exactly. Like exactly. Yeah. So we're, we're in the business. So Ink Labs is really in the business of, of, you know, building common sense technology that empowers teachers and allows them to do what they do best, which is teach. Now, how do you find, what's the sales process like that? Because with IVR, you went from selling directly to private companies, right? Yeah. Private decision makers. And now you have to go through, you know, K to 12, you're probably selling to a lot of public schools. Um, how, how have you found that uh, selling process on the business development side to be different? Um, in a lot of ways, it's kind of, it's the same. In a lot of ways, it's very different, right? So um, my prior companies were, you know, we did a lot of selling through channel partnerships, uh, you know, so we really allowed our partners to be successful. Um, and they're the ones that brought us into customers like Wells Fargo and the US Navy and so on. Um, with Inc. Labs, it's still the same thing. So outside our local geography, which is Western New York, we sell through partners and really it's, it's empowering these solution providers that are you know, doing all sorts of things for schools and giving them another tool in their kit, right? That they can go to schools with uh, a, a product. So we, we give our partners um, exclusivity uh, in a specific geographic region. We give them great margins so they can really go build a business out of selling interactive panels uh, in their school districts. Um, in Western New York, we sell direct and you know, selling to public schools is, uh, you know, it's a more laborious process. You know, it's, it's yeah. not as easy. And I'm learning very, you know, I've been in this business for 11 months now, so not a long time. Um, so, and it's really about building the right relationships. And you know what, it's, it's about convincing, you know, at a, at a visceral level, the board, the superintendents and the teachers themselves that what, that what we are giving them is really enabling technology. Once they believe that, and once they really get to trust you, um, I think the floodgates start to open. So you're finding that a lot of educators feel like the product you have created is aligning with their mission? 
Yeah, that's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we so we did a lot of a large project with the Buffalo Public Schools recently. You know, the public school um, city of Tonawanda. Um, yeah, and these schools really, it's about what, what's been great is having implementing the technology and then going in a few months later and saying, hey, how how is everything doing? How how are we doing for you? And uh, just uh, you know, just seeing the teachers kind of light up um, is 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 great. You know, when they're using our technology, so yeah, it's been good. When you're starting a company, what do you like? You you've stood up a company in eleven months, right? Like that's to me that's so impressive because like you have, I mean, you have a you have a lot of technical infrastructure, right? It's a tech company. Um, I you know, in an attempt in my feeble brain to try and understand things, I often relate things back to me in my situation, right? And so, you know, I have a business that's 14 months old and it's it's 15 months old and it's growing and everything's fine. But um, the what you've done in 11 months is is really impressive. And, and I would have to believe that part of the reason why you you're seeing the success is it's not your first company, right? You probably, if somebody comes to you with an idea, right? If I, if I were to come to you with an idea, and this is where, where my question's ultimately going. If I were to come to you with an idea and I said, Akash, all right, I have, I have this idea. I have this platform. I have this product, widget, whatever. Um, what do you think? Do you want it, right? In your mind, you're probably thinking, you know, I don't know if it's price points or, or market potential or, or development staff or sales. Like, what, what are the order of operations you go through? Like what, what are the most foundational thing? When somebody's got a company, like what, what do you think needs to, to be put, what resources and processes need to be put around it to give it some traction? Yeah, I think it's, um, that's a great question. And, you know, so I do a lot of investing in the cybersecurity space, um, you know, and that's, that's the other half of my life, right? Um, and I've invested in a, uh, a guided uh, cybersecurity consultancy out of Boston, um, you know, a, a uh, security monitoring and technical implementations company uh, out of Rochester. Um, you know, but to me, fundamentally, it really boils down first and foremost to it really is about the people. And, you know, you've heard that said probably, right? Which is, is the team a cohesive team? Like, is everyone someone that you can trust and is likable, you know? And, uh, and then are they competent? Like, do they actually know what they're talking about? Um, and sometimes can you, can they demonstrate that they know what they're doing, right? Because some talk is cheap and uh, right. you can get a lot of people that sound great, but can't execute worth, worth anything. So um, I think the people is the first one. And, and I'll give you an example of how Ink Labs happened. So, you know, we went from pandemic, um, you know, in March when we started and the pandemic hit, we just started right before that hit. Um, to ending the year with $2 million in sales. And that's not because I knew what I was doing. I certainly did not. Um, but I think it really was um, a factor of getting the right people on board. Um, I knew I was running an inventory business um, that I'd never run before. You know, I'm a software guy. Um, so having the right uh, financial, um, so my brother came in as a, a financial officer and now he's president of the company and running it. Um, you know, he really had the operational chops to make that stuff happen and the financial chops. Um, and then the, the other gentleman that helped me start the company, a guy by the name of Bill Knapp, really, really, you know, Buffalonian. He has been in the ed tech space 20 years um, he'd worked for companies like Panasonic. Um, so, you know, really fundamentally knew the space and, and, and was a great salesperson to boot. So I think having those right uh, people in the right seats is, is everything. Yeah, that's an old adage from, um, uh, from Jim Collins, right? Good to great talks about get the right people on the bus, then put the right people in the right seats, starting with people. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about people. You, um, you know, one, one of our conversations leading up to this, you were talking about how um, you've been in companies where as they grew, right, maybe it was a little bit harder to maintain um, the, the culture that they had developed, right? Maybe people had been there longer, maybe feel like it's not quite the same company that it was before. You know, we, you, you talked about how, how people and, and culture is important at the startup. Um, 
you know, what, what, what do you think um, in terms of what do you, what do you think about culture as in terms of something that's important to develop and maintain um, as a company grows and matures? Um, I think it's everything. Um, you know, again, if, if businesses really are about people and, you know, really driving people to be more resourceful and more creative, then, then culture is really the tool that you use to do that, right? So um, I, and I can kind of, I, I felt the pain of this, CJ, like firsthand with, with my prior company. Uh, you know, we grew, we acquired three other companies uh, during the nine years I was running it um, before we sold. And where I really uh, fell down, um, where I really did not do a good job and learn fast enough was really protecting the the culture of the company. So what, what we had is, you know, the, the guys that really were, you know, um, employees number one through seven, right? Like the initial core team, um, we had really gelled. There was a way we did things, you know, it was work hard, play hard. We played together, you know, we were just friends, right? Um, and we did our first acquisition and that acquisition was in Florida. It was in Orlando, Florida. Uh, and, and we, very different culture, you know, um, you, a much older, um, you know, age-wise, much older group of people compared to what we were. Um, you know, they had, they already had families and kids going to college and, uh, you know, and we were just a bunch of youngsters, right? So, uh, uh seeing that culture and not being able to really have like that cohesive reason for why we're here and and how we're going to have fun doing it was where i failed and you know going forward that's that's one of the biggest things that i try to you know it's a it's a learning process for me still yeah good on you to admit that right one of the things that i've i feel proud of myself if 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 I may, I feel proud of myself uh, for learning how to do is be really secure in my shortcomings. And I have no problem um, admitting that. So I like it. I like it when people are, are comfortable just to be like, yeah, you know, I could have done this better. I, you know, I need to learn from this or I needed to learn from this. So, so, so good on you. Um, talk about the startup community in, in Buffalo. Um, I'm having a hard time making a sense of what it is, especially with the with the pandemic and everything um i think i want to feel optimistic about it right because you're you know whether it be 43 north or you know just the general activity and the connected the connectivity of it right you're seeing i, I mean i i've had conversations with a lot of startups right here that you know want help from marketing and and things like that so i've been fortunate enough to um to be introduced to a lot of them so I, I've been in marketing for 13 years and I, I didn't see this kind of activity, you know, five, six years ago, let alone two or three years ago. Yeah, so to exactly. me, it's really exciting now, but I'm, I'm really on the outside, right? I'm not, I'm not one of the makers of it. I'm not in tech, you know, I'm in, I'm in marketing. So um, what's your sense of, uh, I like, I don't want to just say, oh yeah, it's great. You know, as an outside observer, what's your sense on um, the uh, tech startup scene here in Buffalo, and 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 where do you think it's going? Um, so I'm a little bit of an outsider too, right? So I'm a maker, um, and I've been, you know, incidentally involved in, uh, you know, in some of these startup communities and so on, but not really a core driving force. You know, I'm no. For example, you know, in Buffalo, I'm no Jack Greco, Clark Diver, you know, like I'm not those guys, right? Um, I just kind of have, for better or for worse, I've just kind of kept my head down and like built my own stuff. And mm -hmm. um, the one, the, I think, I think it's a fantastic time right now for startups, right? Um, I mean, structurally, if you if you look at it, um, one of the things I was really worried about is the pandemic would really kill deal flow, um, would ki kill funding and so on. Um, but the reality is there's just so much money uh, that, you know, our, our economy's awash in, um, you know, lots of money that private equity has, lots of money that VCs have that they have to like deploy. So, you know, uh, there hasn't been, um, a nosedive in funding or funding opportunities for startups. The second thing too, I think is what I've noticed in just talking 
um, to folks. And this is reminiscent of you know, what we saw in 2008, 2009, and honestly, 2001, when I was still in college, right? Is um, when things kind of uh, blow up um, and there are, there's a small segment of people that, you know, for them, when they're doing the, the cost benefit analysis of, oh, you know, should I start my company? I don't have much to lose because I've just lost my job or, or you know, th there isn't a lot of hiring going on right now. So, you know, might as well start my company. Um, it e I, think, I think the fundamentals are so much better for starting a company in a downturn. Um, yeah. So, so we're, we're seeing good people with good ideas just saying, to hell with it. I'm just going to give it a shot as well as money that's there, right? Um, so that's number one. Number two, and I think uh, when we talk about startups, too, and you mentioned it, you said, you know, what's what's the state of startups? And then you said, I, you know, I'm not a startup guy. Um, I think that's inaccurate to say. Like, that's one of the things I, I'm, I think very differently about, right? Like, I think tech startups are great. High growth SaaS companies are great, but they, and going the route of getting venture capital and growing fast and growing big, I think that's one way of doing startups for sure, but it's not the only way, right? Um, what you're doing, CJ, you know, I'm a big fan of small businesses, sustainable businesses, debt-free businesses that are, um, you know, maybe not as great stories, but, um, you know, a lot of those create like the sustainability, you know, yeah. our, our city needs. No, you're absolutely right. While you were uh, mentioning that, I just quickly looked up uh, businesses that started in the Great Recession of like 20, 2007, 8, 9. Because um, I remember reading about this. So you got WhatsApp, Venmo, Groupon, Instagram, Pinterest, yeah. Slack. Everybody loves Slack. Square. Um, there's just, it's, it's really impressive. And, you know, in a couple of years, we're going to be reading about, you know, um, not that I'm rooting for a recession, right? But like, I it's absolutely unsurprising to you know a couple of years we'll be reading about you know the companies that were started right now in the pandemic, right? You hear you hear about pandemic babies. Well, um, yeah, this is a different type of of pandemic baby. So, uh, indeed, indeed, and you know it's funny, but um, uh, uh, you know, like to me, it's been interesting because my first company that I started, right. Uh, while still in college um, was when I was still in college with one of my friends. So this was 2001, 2002, 2003, you know, before, before graduating. And um, same story, right? We, um, it was right after things had gone to hell in a handbasket. Um, but, and then my second company. That was uh, a tech bubble, like 0102. Yeah. My second company was 09 uh, when we were in another recession. And so I understand it fundamentally. And the reason is because too, the other thing that happens is the buyers, people that, you know, in a recession and the pandemic is a great example, right? Suddenly, oh, we would never do this. Suddenly becomes, oh yeah, you know, suddenly everyone is open to looking at different ways of doing stuff. So it's... Uh, yeah, they say they say I love this phrase. Adversity is the mother of innovation, right? Like um, when your house is on fire, you jump through the window because that's what you ha you know what I mean. That's yeah. you do when your back's up against the wall. You do what needs to be done. And another point I like is and Seth Godin used to talk about this. I'm kind of like a, a Seth Godin disciple. Yeah, um, awesome. You know he he talks about how like the he talks about the security of a job right mm -hmm. and how now in a world where anybody with a computer and an internet connection can in theory have access to anyone else in the world the markets are open to anybody and the barriers to entry of starting anything are significantly lowered right just talking a basic let's say you have a services business you're a dog walker or a marketer or or anything or an accountant right um you can uh how, how easy is it to get like a name a dba a website and just put stuff out there right and if you if you can solve problems and add value through your content through your exchanges then like th there is every reason for you to find work and so um he what he was arguing is that like uh like entrepreneurship is the new safe work the safe route right it's like it's it's safer than than having a job. It is more secure than having a job because you're 
you know, at the mercy of, of somebody else. And, you know, quite honestly, before I, I feel that way now. Now, I didn't always necessarily feel that way. And um, in the past, to be honest, like I wasn't somebody who, oh, I, I just, you know, I couldn't have a job. I can't, I can't have somebody to tell me what to do. I have to be my own boss. I didn't really have that. I was very happy working at, you know, the previous stops that I've had, but I always just kind of had this bug. And now that I'm kind of on the other side of it, I think like, yeah, there's times where it's really hard and there's times where you really feel the weight of the responsibility. Um, but like, I think I feel safer here than if I was working for somebody else and constantly worrying like, man, yeah, you know, are they going to, are they going to wake up one day and feel like I'm not the person for the job anymore or that I'm not do or I'm not doing it? Or is something else going to happen completely unrelated to me? And, you know, sorry, you can't afford me anymore. Something like that, you know? Yeah, and it's, you're absolutely right. When you're an employee, I feel like you are a business with one customer. And that customer also dictates that you cannot work for anyone else. Uh, sounds terrible, terrible. I mean, we would never do that in business. So I completely right. agree with you. I, you know, and, and, and I know a lot, of, a lot of folks that, you know, they're, what's a good way, way of putting it? Micro contracting almost, you know, mm -hmm. they do a lot of small jobs um, and, and make a great living doing it. Um, yeah. You know what? They lose a few customers. They gain a few customers. You know, but it all nets out. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, and I think you're seeing that more and more because in my world, right, um, so many more agencies are hiring freelancers. I just hired one. Right. I hired, you know, a project manager and, you know, she's doing great so far. And one, it, it gives us each a little bit of flexibility to make sure it's like a right fit, you know, yeah. that that you know i like her she likes me because we're both quite frankly we're both on a trial membership because when i talk about that in terms of you know being an employee and um you know wanting to you know sometimes feeling limited it makes me think about one day where i start hiring more employees and what kind of employer am i going to be you know am i going to be one that's that makes them feel unsafe or restricted or i'm going to make them feel free and valued and that they want to be there so that's a that's a tremendous burden that that i face um and i, I actually want to get your opinion on that in a second but to your point like it's not just project management it's it's copywriters and designers and developers and 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 video people like like if you're if you're really good, there's a lot of people who say, you know, what, I don't want to work for in house at a company or for an agency. I'm just going to hang my own shingle. And when you when you do good enough work and you're you're out, you do it for a long enough period of time, or most a lot of people in the in the community know you, you could get work. You know what I mean? So it's it's going to be even harder to to hire full time W two employees at the top level because most of those people are dictating their own terms and yeah. in a freelance environment. So I think I think businesses got to be really prepared to um, engage with more independent contractors as opposed to employees. And maybe that's not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing, except I think there's a few things that our society needs to do. Um, you know, the way I think about it, CJ, which is I think protections for people that are um, you know, hanging their own shingle um, are actually pretty low, right? Like you don't get all the employer benefits, you know, the protections of like, you know, if you lose a job, you can, you know, you, um, uh, you get compensation, right? Um, you're talking about, you're talking about if you're a W-2 employee and you lose your right. job, you get unemployment insurance. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know all the specifics, but what I do know is the two reasons why people are like deathly afraid of going out on their own are a the lack of a good social safety net right health insurance you know the basics um and then number two is well i mean that that's really the big one right and that is the big one and I'm, I'm with you on that right and number two is really the fact that now labor is just so much more diffuse you can be in direct competition as an accountant, as a marketer with someone in the Philippines or someone yep. in India and so on. So, you know, so it's not, it's not a path of roses, certainly, but um, I think, I think we as a society could go a long way in building the kind of, you know, the new, the 21st century social safety nets that allow people to be more creative, you know, like, kind of like, um, I think of it as, as Star Trek, you know, like, I love Star Trek because these guys, they never had a purpose is the way I felt it, right? Like they would always be flying around or, you know, from one planet to another doing stuff. And it was all about exploration. Like how cool would it be 
if in an industrialized country like ours, you know, where, where we are so wealthy per capita, um, to be able to really have the ability to go explore because you know that there is a safety net to, that's going to take care of you should something adverse happen. I agree. Um, I agree completely. I think not to get too political, but I don't mind sharing this. I think um, the take, for instance, the the issue of healthcare and uh, Medicare for all or universal health care. Um, I think that's an issue of freedom, to be honest. And I think you're I, I'm getting the sense that maybe you would agree. I don't I don't know what your uh, political bent is, but um, you know, regardless of what side of the political aisle you're on, uh, you re what you just said really struck a chord with me because I think that if if your healthcare is tied to your employer, right, then that is very restrictive, right? Now you have to, uh, you know, you're you're limited in the decisions that you can make to um, explore, earn a living, do things that are good for you, for your family, for society. And um, I would really like to see that that burden lifted, because honestly, I think that, you know, aside from being a healthier society that would pay dividends, um, I really do believe that there would be more more exploration and innovation and things that would have tremendous, tremendous benefits, because ultimately it, it is an issue of freedom to me is how I kind of uh, yeah. interpret it. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I'm no um, I, I certainly am not a policy wonk. Um, yeah, me neither. So I, I don't really know what the right answer is, but just from my experiences, you know, my brother-in-law is an example. He's a, I mean, one of the most creative guys that I know, you know, he, he, he's one of those guys that will pick up a book and then create, build his own, um, what do you call those? Like, um, not convection, uh, 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 wood fired pizzas, you know, what's that? Oh yeah. Okay. I don't know what they're called, but, um, you know, he'll just go and build all these crazy things, right? And um, if I just kind of wonder if he really didn't have to worry about his job and uh, and relegate his creativity to like two hours a night or one hour a night that he has time to do it, um, what he could do. Um, yeah, that's a perfect example. And you're seeing more of that too. Now, the one thing is that the current whatever landscape technology, infrastructure, whatever you want to call it, yeah. is enabling that. Because what's happening, people are dipping their to dipping their toe in, right? Yeah. They're yeah. creating something and they're sharing it on Instagram or on a YouTube channel. And people like it and organically it builds a following. And now, you know, if you have a following, you can, if you have like a thousand raving fans, you can yeah. make a living on that. Some sell them a course, uh, apparel, um, you know, some type of uh, Patreon subscription to your content or whatever, um, individual consulting, high-end custom jobs, like regardless of what industry you're in, if you have an audience, you can monetize it, maybe enough to make a living full-time. So I think like just the 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 tools, but really what the tools represent, the connectivity is, is thrusting us further in that direction. And I think that's exciting. So, but I do hope that somebody who's as uh, talented as it was your brother-in-law, you said. Yeah. Um, so uh, has the opportunity to explore that more. Uh, speaking of um, speaking of delicious things made in ovens, I don't know if we've talked about this, but um, I'm sure you weren't talking about a tandoori oven um, because obviously you would you would you would have you would know what that is. I don't know if I told you, but my first job ever when I was 15 years old, I was a busboy at an Indian restaurant, and they let me try everything on the menu. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it, Indian food still to this day is ask anybody who knows me is my absolute favorite food. I don't just eat chicken tikka masala. You know, I, although I do love that and I probably order that every third time I probably just get that. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely love it. I go to any time an Indian restaurant opens up. Um, I go there, I make it at home all the time. Um, lately I've been, I've been really into vegetable korma making that so yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways i i love indian food so i need to know like when it comes to indian food are you spoiled like like from your your family's cooking or anything like that do you go to an indian restaurant and you're like yeah this is whatever or or right. tell, tell me if i'm missing out i am spoiled so uh yeah and i and i think there's a lot of great indian restaurants 
here, right? Um, I don't know. And I don't really go to any Indian. <laughs> I, I think I, I feel like I really should. Uh, maybe you can tell me what the good ones are. But um, no, I, you know, my, my mom is a great cook. My wife is a great cook. And, you know, and she really picked up all the Indian cooking. I'm kind of getting into cooking now. The pandemic's really changed a whole mm-hmm. lot, you know. Uh, along those lines. By the way, I have a really good, I've, I've, I started making homemade naan just in a pan because obviously I, I'm not going to stick it to the side. I don't have a tin, a clay oven, um, but uh, it's not bad. And you can make it in 15 minutes and it's way better than, than the pre-made stuff you get at Wegmans. Or, or, I didn't realize or, you had these kind of skills. That's awesome. Well, I love to cook. So, I mean, um, if, I, if I'm just home and I got no plans for a weekend, like on a Saturday, like I'm, you know, Thursday or Friday, I'm like, okay, what can I make that would be fun? Go buy some ingredients, and then Saturday, you know, maybe go to the gym, come home, make yeah. stuff, yeah. Drink, drink beer and wine with it. Um, well, Indian food is great, but I have to say, my favorite, uh, my friend is Leo, my best friend is Laotian, so mm-hmm. I have really gotten into Vietnamese and Lao cooking. Um, man, it's just that that little that little peninsula with like Cambodia and Laos and and Vietnamese. Exactly. I don't know it super well. I I definitely had Cambodian and Vietnamese food, but I can't speak to it the way I could. Like I don't really understand all of the dynamics of it the way I could. Like definitely Indian, maybe Thai, definitely Italian. Um, my maternal grandparents were born in Italy, okay. and. Um, so they they met in New York City, which is where both of my family's from. I grew up in Connecticut. So both okay. my parents, like all my, my family just descends from New York City. So um, my grandmother, I'm kind of similar with Italian food. Like I love Italian food and yeah. there's so many great Italian restaurants. Um, and it's I feel cliche saying this, but like you, sorry, you just, you <laughs> will not beat my grandmother's cooking. Okay. You just yeah. won't. You won't. Right. right. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for... Uh, for homemade cooking um but you ever been to west side bazaar cj yes well isn't there an ethiopian restaurant there yeah ethiopian restaurant yeah great ethiopian place um yeah that ethiopian food i mean there you go i grew up in ethiopia so uh big yeah big fan of ethiopian food but yeah west side bazaar has like a, a laotian place and like um you know so yeah great place to try i honestly i haven't been there in a couple of years um, yeah, I've kind of been bogged down with three kids and a, and a business. Um, I, so it's not just there. I haven't, I haven't been a lot of anywhere, uh, recently to be honest, but that's a, that's a good point. I'll, I'll, I'll add it to my list. I'm really proud because my wife, when I first met her, she did not have a very diverse palate. Um, she ate kind of like basic foods. Um, but she, um, yeah, I know. Right. Um, She's wonderful, um, uh, but no, she 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 yeah. loves Indian food now. Not as much as me, um, but it, it's like it is literally. I'm living in a, a dream scenario when I can be like, where usually like if we order food, it's usually on a Friday night, right? We either we, uh, we usually like order order in on Friday nights, and yeah. so you know, just last week I was like, hey, how about Indian? She's like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. And to me, that's that's a dream because there's a lot of people who. I did like, or even they've never even had it, but they don't want to, they don't want to try it. I don't know what, if they're afraid that there's too spicy or, or what, but, um, to me, it's impossible that somebody could not like it. You know, if, if they don't like it, that just means they haven't tried it. You know, one of my greatest accomplishments in life, uh, you're talking about your wife. So my wife, um, is a farmer's girl. You know, she grew up in Angelica, New York, you know, middle of nowhere, take a left kind of places, you know, sorry, quickly, where is Angelica? Uh, literally middle of nowhere. So it's in Allegheny County. Of okay. Hour, maybe hour and 50 minutes south of here. Is that near like Cuba? Yeah, 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 exactly. Near, yeah, that area. Okay, got it. Uh, yeah, but you know, she, um, after we started dating, uh, and she was also vegetarian, and my greatest accomplishment in life is not only did I get her to love, you know, Asian food and spicy food and so on, but I also made her start eating meat. So... Wow, nice. So, so you get that really comes together with like Asian food and meat, Korean barbecue. That's that's yeah. the stuff. That's yeah. the stuff. Yeah. So I don't know if you know Neil Carroll. He runs a video uh, production, marketing, and production agency called Vidwheel, and uh, so he's a friend of mine. And 
he actually came on in one of my early episodes. And what was cool is that um, I bought my like whole like uh, webcam setup through him and he consulted with me and he's been doing that. He's kind of um, transitioned his business model uh, in a lot of ways to help people who are just making remote video, whether it just be videos for their website, or starting their own podcast. So he's got this whole, what's called a creator network. So it's, it's just awesome that he has a platform where everybody has group discussions and he brings a guest speaker every week. And then he also sells the hardware and consults on that. And like he'll do post-production. So, you know, to be honest, I send every episode to him and um, he does post-production, puts little graphics on it, cuts the clip for social. So it's really cool, by the way. So if you or any of your companies are, are interested in like uh, a lower friction way of making your own content and still making it good, um, consider him. But... Well, 100%. Uh, I think that would be, yeah, I'll, I'll get, I'll get his name after. Yeah, I can put you in touch. Um, so he, he and I talk about how like all our favorite food is just um, in the Eastern hemisphere because we will, we'll meet up um, his place is right in Allen, uh, in Allentown. So there's a newer place called Buffalo Tika house on Allen and North Pearl. That place is really good. Really small. Um, no frills place really good their their sauces are very are more rich and creamy than average which I think is maybe a little bit more Americanized but um, really really delicious um, really good ingredients really like that place so but yeah so Korean Thai Indian sushi sushi is the thing that I could eat every day I can't have Indian food every day because um, I, I eat too much of it it's too much too many carbs Right. I just can't have it every day. Sushi, though, I could literally eat every day. Every day. Yeah. It's sushi is phenomenal. And it's always sushi with some of their hot sakes. Is, I mean, that's yeah. perfect. But then, you know, don't, don't plan on, I, I usually do that for lunches. Um, yes. You know, once in a while with my wife, you know, we'll go out and have sushi. But then I kind of have to take the afternoon off because, you know, you, you just never realize how much sake you're drinking until you're like, <laughs> crap. Okay. I'll just. That'll, that. It sneaks up on you. It doesn't even feel like you're drinking anything. Yeah. yeah, I haven't. I haven't had it in a while. I haven't in a while. So, how long have you been in East Aurora? I, so I I moved here in 2006, um, and then after a couple of years, bought a house in North Buffalo. Was up there for a couple of years, and then we had, you know, my daughter. Um, when we were pregnant with my daughter. Um, we decided we just wanted to move closer back to family. So we moved back to here. So it's a, it's a great little town, you know, it's, do you uh, live, do you live in the village or close to it? 100%. Yeah. My wife, her, so we've moved houses in East Aurora, uh, three times, two times now. And, um, you know, the only thing my wife will say is I have to be able to open the door. And when I step out, it should have an East Aurora sidewalk. So, uh, nice. that's, that's the limits. <laughs> that's that's awesome um i respect that i love i love villages um i live in the city i live in south buffalo and um it's a it's a good neighborhood it doesn't have like the the flair of like a village of east aurora or something like that but i've been here for whereabouts uh so right by like uh casanova park and mercy hospital and doc sullivan's there's always you can't talk about south buffalo and not mention an, a proximity to a specific irish pub so yeah oh well yeah they're all over right yeah but, um, yeah no that casanova park is nice oh it's great it's great take there's little hills there i take my kids sledding just took them there last weekend um they do a great farmer's market which started about four or five years ago every sunday um so we walk there for that playground go running through it it's it's really nice um so yeah so we really like the area but uh, we are thinking about uh, moving in the not too distant future my wife loves uh east Aurora. i do too um, but when I think about it, like, you know, I would love to be in like a place like East, Village of East Aurora or Village of Hamburg. I really like I like the villages. It's really nice. Yeah, um, it's, yeah it, it's a, and, and the nice thing is like there's just a nice knit community here too. Yeah. Like, village feel and stuff. The, I mean, the, the things that they do like that has so many like East Aurora, I feel like has a really strong sense of place. Right with the Christmas stuff they do, the Carol Cade, like it's it's really really, it's really nice. Honestly, it's really nice. Um, well, if so, you're looking for places, uh, I know a really good realtor. Um, so. <laughs> oh, do is that your wife or you? No, 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 no. Uh, you just happen to know. That helps us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Um, 
Well, I'll keep that in mind. We may, um, yeah. you know, we may be, we may be moving. Um, not really sure when, but yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. So um, the, the one thing is like my wife is from, well, she's from South Buffalo too. So, um, oh, wow. uh, so she's always gravitated to the South towns. So uh, yeah. West Seneca. So in her mind, like she's got to live there, which is, I mean, it's right out of the Western New York playbook. If you're from the North towns, you stay there. From the South towns, you stay there. Me, right, moving here from Connecticut, and I've lived most of my, well, actually, shoot, I've been in this house for seven years. So I guess now half my time in South Buffalo, the other half, I pretty much lived in Elmwood Village. So, you know, not never really an allegiance. I've only ever lived inside the city of Buffalo. So it's gonna be a big step if we end up moving to the suburbs, but I'm fine, I'm fine looking at the North Towns too, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. I think the South Towns are great, but I also like the North Towns, so I don't really right, care. Right. Well, and it's interesting, but uh, you being in the city and having kind of, you know, lived there most of the time, I mean, the city's wonderful. Um, yeah. A lot of people, like my brothers lived in the city and he will never move anywhere else. He just, you know, like, I just love the feel and the vibe. And I, I gave up that, um, that fight in my mind probably a year or two ago. Right. Um, I always wanted, I was, I, I would always say, I would tell Lindsay, I would said, you know, I, I want to raise kids in the city. I always want to stay in the city and things like that. And she was like, yeah, I think maybe we'll want to move to the suburbs someday. And not like, wasn't really like an argument, but I could tell it was something where we weren't always a hundred percent aligned, but she kind of like, she didn't fight me on it. And I think like in her mind, she had a feeling I would eventually come around to going to the suburbs. And at this point we got three little kids it would definitely be nice to have a little bit more space Right. And, and, you know, some other things with like the school districts and stuff. So yeah, um, really she just patiently waited me out yeah. as she probably predicted. And now here I am. Yep. yep. Like get the three kids and it's all going to happen. It's automatic. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you, I remember you telling me about um, the school that your kids go to. Do they still go to uh, this really cool, like private school in East Aurora? Yeah, it's a, it's a really tiny school. It's it's literally CJ one step up from homeschooling. Um, there's 24 kids. It's called Mandela. Uh, that's right. That's yeah. right. And, um, Talk yeah. about that. I uh, tell me about that school. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So it well, the way we kind of got into it, like you know, and and it's literally like on the same block as our house. So it's it's like a you know you just oh like, my gosh, cool. You know, you're like whatever. We'll see you because I can just you know look out the door and watch them going to their school. Um, um, but what's what's well, the reason why we got acquainted with it was so my son, um, in his younger years, when first grade, second grade, right? Um, he's just finishing up third now, but. He was one of those kids that he was really behind schedule in reading and really ahead of schedule in math. And so the, the school really wasn't, you know, he, it just wasn't working. For him. He was he was he was not being served. His interests weren't being served for either. Yeah, because he just needed much more personalized, you know, um, schooling. Um, and so we tried out Mandela with him and he's just really taken off. It's, it's, it's great, you know. Um, but then my daughter, she, she went to the middle school and East Aurora Middle School, you know, elementary school. I mean, just really great schools, right? But um, after, with the pandemic, we're like, well, you know, it's just going to be a little bit of a disaster. We might as well put her here. Um, and she's just loved it. And, you know, what we love about it is, I mean, 24 kids, four teachers. Uh, it's phenomenal. And, um, you know, they get to go at their own pace uh, for different things. And, you know, there are um, the things they read, the math they do. It's just, you know, they explore. And that's been wonderful. It's know? great. That is I so fantastic. Yeah. So I have. Um, How old are your kids? Five. So my oh. oldest, Riley, she'll be in uh, kindergarten in the fall. Uh, Luke is. He'll be three next month, and oh, Ellie, yeah. and Ellie's five months old. So oh wow 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 yeah. Um, so um, Riley goes to Riley goes to school uh, at Notre Dame Academy in South Buffalo in pre K four. Luke goes. Luke is actually deaf, and he goes to Buffalo Hearing and Speech. Uh, he has cochlear implants, so he goes. He's in the oral deaf program. So he's in a school with a bunch of kids that all have either cochlear implants or um 
or hearing aids. And the stuff that, I mean, you want to talk about something that's incredible. It's like what these teachers are doing with these kids to develop, to develop speech, you know, it's really incredible how much, I mean, the human ears are pretty great. I mean, it's great that he can hear, right. But, um, you know, we take for granted, like how, how amazing the input to our brains are from our human ears. So there's a lot of things that you kind of got to deconstruct it and build it up their, their hearing and their comprehension and their language. And they're doing an amazing job uh, with him. And so um, is that now is that like a, an ongoing kind of program or? Yeah, it takes them. It takes them to kindergarten. It takes, it takes them to kindergarten. And um, um, it's my understanding that most of the kids just go to mainstream schools starting in kindergarten. So after that, yeah. they're kind of caught up. Is what you're yeah. Saying. So they all have speech delay. I mean, Luke's Luke. I mean, he's almost three and he's not talking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But um, one of my friend's daughters, same, same, same issue. But um, but I think she kind of I guess she adjusted and grew out of it over time. Yeah, that that could happen too. Um, his, his he's not going to grow out of his hearing loss. So you know, for him, it's really just a matter of getting used to to hearing through these cochlear implants, and then you know, developing um, developing normal speech, which is which is a process. But you know, we're really we're really proud of him. We're really proud of these teachers. So um, so yeah, we're not quite like school school age yet, but we're getting there. We're going to be there you know, pretty soon. So, you know, that's always something that we take into consideration if and when we move and things like that. So is yeah. Notre Dame, you said Notre Dame Academy? Yeah. 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 Catholic school? It's a Catholic school. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's really close by and, you know, we, we know, we know some, a lot of people there and it just felt like the, um, and she loves it. Honestly, she loves it. So that's, that's really cool is um, now and. And your wife's family is all in South Buffalo, and so you yeah. have parents and the her whole dad. Family. Her dad moved like south. Yeah, and by south I mean like well, he was in Hamburg for a while, and now he's kind of in like the Springville area. But his, her her dad's one of six, yeah. and um, and all the all of his siblings are still in South Buffalo in in a one and a half mile radius. So wow. we honestly, I love it. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's great. It's great. I mean, cousins and family, like we just go everywhere and, and we see people. Um, you know, I have a I have a, an open door policy in our house. Like I tell people, come by. Like you don't need an invitation. You want to you're around. You're, you're going you're running errands. Come by. Say hi. So like her brothers, um, some of her cousins will just pop in and, and see the kids for a little bit. And I I love that. Like that's that's always what I wanted. Um, and uh, we have babysitters, so it's a, it's a good situation. Yep. Yep. I believe it. That that's gotta be so huge. Now is your wife Italian too? Or No, she's, she's, she's German and Irish. Um, and she's like a mix of a lot of things, German, Irish, English, Native American, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things that I've noticed is, you know, my friends that are, um, you know, like second generation Italian and so on. I mean, their family bonds are just so yeah. Tight. I mean, they're always at each other's houses. Yep. Yep. You don't see that too often. No, no, you don't. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm kind of, you know, I'm only half Italian, so I have a German last name, and um, I'm a, I'm Irish too. I'm half Italian and then German and Irish. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, like my Italian side of the family, my dad jokes about this all the time. He, he used to work for a company called IBM and well, everybody knows IBM. What I meant to say is they used to, they used, they had a shirt that said IBM Italian by marriage. And he's, so he like had the experience of being like caught in the vortex of that really close knit family, but it's great. You know, it's great. Yeah, yeah that, that is great. You know, that's, that's the one thing that, you know, so Indian families are like that too, you know, we're super tight and stuff, but uh, yeah, that's, that's been kind of weird. Cause you know, right now my brother's in, lives in the city of Buffalo, but you know, we're in the South towns and that's all the family we've got. So it's, uh, it feels like, oh man, I wish we were back home. You know, when we go to India, it's, you know, it's just parties all the time. That's awesome. I, I am, India is on my bucket list. I have to go. I have to go. I watch all the, I watch like all the Gordon Ramsay episodes when he goes there and cooks there. And, you know, I, I YouTube Indian cooking all the time. Um, you're gonna to have to cook some Indian food for me. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> that's pr- I. I mean, I would do it for sure. Do you know what I? I, I would do a, a much better job than me. So 
but um, you know, so I was gonna like with the pandemic and everything, I've been I've really like taken to like learning how to cook because I was I was a disaster before that. You know, I'm like, okay, I can cook myself some eggs, and then you know I can call for pizza. Um, but over the last year, it's been fun to like to pick it up and stuff. So not, I love it's it. Great. I love it. I'm no good, but I love it. Um, I, cooking is the best. I, one of the things I'm really proud of my family for. So we come from like a, I, I come from a mixed family, right? So um, uh, unfortunately, my mom passed away when I was three, and it was my brother and I. And then my dad got remarried, so I had two stepsisters. Um, and then together, they had my my youngest sister, Claire. So um, we have a, we have a very big and, and mixed family. And my brother, fortunately, is up here, and uh, my sisters are in. Uh, DC and Richmond, Virginia. Now she was in DC for like 10 yep. years yep. and then um, New Hampshire. But anyways, all of us can cook. All of us are like, like, I wouldn't say re I'm really good. Like some of us are better than, than others. Like, um, but we're all like very capable cooks and I don't know why, but I always take a, a lot of pride in that. We can, we can throw down in the kitchen it's just cause we love it. You know? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a lot of fun, you know, and with, with the pandemic and not having anywhere to go or whatever, it's uh, it's a great way to spend the time. It's yeah. really healthy, and my daughter likes to do it now too. I mean, she likes to she likes to help a little bit, crack yeah. eggs, mix. It's really fun because it's like it's a great input output, right? You know, because sometimes I do things and you know she wants to help, and yeah. it's not really a kid task, right? It's not really something that she can do. But this is something, whether it's rolling pizza dough or stirring a, a, a soup or something like that, or, or even just helping me measure and, and add ingredients. Like it's, she can instantly see the reward. And I love, I love working, working with my hands and things like that. It's just so therapeutic and uh, it's great. It's so healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Healthy. Exactly. You got that right. Um, yeah. You know, it's uh I had, man, and pandemic's been great in a lot of ways for me. Like, I just had like this, you know, I was just getting like, you know, like just my body was not in a good place before the pandemic, you know, just too much beer, too much food out, you know, you're always kind of out doing something. Um, now it's like, you just get to relax, you know, just um, I'm eating healthy, the family's eating healthy. So there's definitely um, silver lining to it all, right? I mean, agreed. I. Um... You know, I'm still not going to the gym as much as I need to be, but um, I've definitely, I'm definitely eating healthier and I'm sleeping better yeah. now. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're I'm definitely good in that respect. So yeah, it's there. There's definitely a lot of good that comes out of this. Like if you're fortunate enough to where you weren't like significant, like if your health is intact, you and your family, because I know a lot of people who that's not the case, and it's yeah. a terrible feeling to to have yeah. to witness. And and your job wasn't impacted significantly, um, then there really are a lot of positives. Now, uh, I'm, I'm right. Put me right in line with the with the with the people who want this to be over and want to go do things again. Um, absolutely, but um, I'd be honest with I, I'd be lying if I didn't like honestly say that there was good. It forced us to slow down. I mean, I created this yeah. right just because I realized I'm like, huh. When is the world ever going to slow down and give me a better opportunity to just do something that I always wanted to try? So I did. I started a podcast and a garden last spring. That's what I did. And so that was another good thing, too. I grew my own vegetables. I'm growing my own vegetables. Yeah. I built a little. Yeah, it's like it's it's um, it's four feet uh, wide by 11, 11 or 12 feet long. And I just built it. Yeah, it's like I built it pretty tall, like like three feet high. I spent um, spent a full day oh um, building it, and it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a small raised bed, and just the amount of vegetables we were getting was was insane. I think yours is at least double mine. It's yeah, it's great. We did um, successfully. We did tomatoes, peppers, um, uh, lettuce, and squash. Yep. And unsuccessfully, I did carrots and onions and green beans. So, yeah, yeah I didn't do a lot of research. Um, I could have it probably used it. It was my first time ever, you know. Yeah. Um, my insurance agent uh, and friend, shout out to Jeff Lionmark. He lives in Hamburg. 
uh, he has a degree in horticulture from Cornell. So like, I mean, he came over to my house once and was like, all right, this is what you want to do. Sunlight here, boom, boom, boom. Told me exactly how to plant things. So, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, he didn't actually go ahead and plant it and water it for me. But, you know, now I'm, I'm getting ready. It's like almost that time, you know, probably the next month or so I'm going to do start doing some research, figure out, okay, what do we want to plant? Things like that. But it was awesome. Uh, that's that's great man well see that's that's the joy of being married to a farmer's daughter my wife kind of i just oh. what she tells me to do you know so yeah no but we got chickens we now have our own eggs and, that's yeah. wonderful it's kinda cool it's like homesteading <laughs> that is great i think more people are doing that and talk about healthy habits that's really great yeah yeah it's pretty cool that's you know? great yeah so well, listen, Akash, I mean, I really enjoyed this. Um, you know, we're recording this. This is we're just running up on five o'clock Eastern time. So I'm sure we both got to, uh, you know, close up, have some dinner, spend some time with our families. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. This has been so much fun. And, and I want to thank you for coming on. Yeah, no, and this this has been great. And it's always great to connect with someone that uh, you haven't talked to in a long time. So I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Let's not let as much time pass. Amen, brother. Amen. All right. Have a great day, Akash. All right. Talk soon. Bye.